Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. And we are continuing our series on where I've been, where I've been. And today is part three of that series. I want to start with this question. Why is it important to remember where we've come from? Why is it important to remember where we've come from? You know, in, in different studies, there's, there's actually a tremendous amount of studies done on generational, um, generational gaps, gen- generations and like separation and trends and and even like right now, like the big trend in business is like understanding millennials, right? Because we're just so crazy. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's one study that says that the things that define a generation are the things that, that they've experienced that, in history that changed them, that affected them. For example, millennials, did you know that millennials range from anywhere around 22 all the way up to like uh, late 30s or early 40s. Most of uh, most people just think millennials are like like teenagers or 20 year olds, but in fact, it's a very broad spectrum. And the the monumental event that separates millennials from baby boomers is 9/11. And most of you guys in this room remember where you were at for 9-11. For me, I was really young, but I still remember that day tremendously. I remember feeling really confused of why my third grade teacher was so upset. And when he put on the radio, it sounded like, like a old school, like I felt like I was in the, like the 50s because all you just hear is one person talking about what was happening. It was and I remember feeling confused and not really fully understanding. Then going, being let out of school early. It was raining. I lived in the valley. I just remember it was so dark and gloomy. It was raining. And I just remember everyone just looking at the TV. And looking at the TV myself and seeing the buildings fall. And I never even knew what the Twin Towers were until then. And I remember just like all the emotions of the room. And I remember that the, the, the depth of my family, the depth of what the fear and, and there's so much that just went into that day. And I was in third grade. And when we think about nine 11, I want us to think about something that maybe we weren't involved in like the Holocaust. You know, the Holocaust is something that we can read about. We see stories, but I think I just saw the, this article the other day, like about like the last Holocaust survivor and you know, like it, they're pretty much like aging out of, and, and I think about like the somberness of how, how detrimental that, to that, that was to the entire world. And when we think about events like this, for me, when I think about like the Holocaust, I think like, how could I ever like not take that serious because it's so big, but even just, now, there's kids like Generation Z that 
there's memes about 9-11. There's jokes about 9-11. There's people that make fun of it and just try to use it as a punchline. You know, it wasn't too long ago where I heard someone making fun of the Holocaust. And I, I remember just like feeling almost shocked at the lack of reverence for something so detrimental in history. But see, when it comes to where we've been, understanding our past is so important, so detrimental when it comes to giving purpose for the direction of the future. And when we do not, uh, when we do not hold to the memories of the past, to the lessons of history, that uh, these, these things moved our hearts. They've changed our lives. Think about like how our whole generation is, is separated by an event in history. That the next generation acts completely different because of they have not been where we've been. Think about that reality for a second. That because of the things that we've gone through, they will never be like us and we will never be like them. As far as generations go. And if, if you're wondering, like, well, is that true? Think about, like, the vast gap it is from, like, the boomer generation. How different we are. Like, like millennials, like, we don't even really need watches. Think about that. Like, and the watches we do have is just so that we could text without pulling out our phone. So it'd just be easier. It's not even to look at the time. <laughs> like, we, we don't carry notebooks. Most of us, anyway. There's so many different, like, simple things that we do not see the same way on. I mean, if you talk to a boomer, like, you, you will have completely different ideas of career paths, of, of what financial security is, of, of how, what is a successful life, of when you should get married, when you should have kids. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And... If we, if we don't bridge some of these gaps and we allow the next generation, they can feel such a disregard for the event that, uh, that we've experienced so carelessly and even foolishly make fun of such events. To me, it is just broad, utter foolishness to make fun of 9-11 or the Holocaust. It is the most immature, lack of reverence, lack of cognitiveness to make fun of such events where, where vast amounts of people died. Y'all know what I'm saying? And we not only, when we do not bridge these gaps to share where we've been, we not only slander the men and women that paved the way for our lives today when we disregard these events, but it's this negligence that causes horrible parts of history to repeat itself. It's because of really the lack of understanding, the lack of knowledge of history that horrible things repeat. I mean, think about like, let's look at the Holocaust for a moment. That entire country was bamboozled by Hitler. It was a very conniving and very manipulative situation that the entire people, I mean, a whole country 
where the majority majority of them followed the leader, even when they knew that it was wrong in their hearts. You know how many, there's so many psychological studies done on our natural, innate nature to just obey? Like the Stanford experiments? There's, there, if you ever look at the Stanford experiments, it was people that literally were, uh, it was a psychological test to where they thought that they were actually electrocuting the person to death. And the only, even though they felt uncomfortable with it, because the, the coordinator told them to continue, they did it anyway against their conscience. Two-thirds of people. Think about that. And when you see like the actual videos of people going through it, it's like disturbing how very upset they were, and yet they continued anyway. And the whole reason that the the psychologist did the experiment is because he was Jewish and he wanted to understand how an entire country could just obey a command commands to to kill innocent people and it was so disturbing that that he was even like is like a whole case to where uh it looked at like a, a psychopathic you know experiment but I think it was what was most disturbing is how and how incredibly easy it was for people to just obey a crazy command. I think that was the most disturbing part. And see, if we don't understand certain things of our past, we just follow along this, this reckless path of doing what feels right in the moment. I don't want to break the rules right now, so I'm just going to do what everyone else does. But it's when we understand history, and when, when we understand where we've been and the people have been before us, that we can actually catapult forward instead of repeating the same mistakes of the past. That's why history is one of the most important things to learn as an individual, even though today it's looked at as the most insignificant thing to learn. When am I ever going to use history in, as a cashier? When am I ever going to learn history as, as a biologist? But it's, history is something that is innate to our society to understand how to be better in the future. Y'all get what I'm saying? And while we are not very traditional as a church, traditions, did y'all know that the point of traditions is the act of trying to keep memories and history alive so that people can continue on in this in the in the lesson that was learned? And even though most traditions end up just being passed down without ever being explained, it's important to know why we do what we do. Y'all feel that? That's one of the values that we have as a church is to always know why you do what you do. And I want us to look at the first Passover. And for me, not being raised in church, when I first started reading about um different things in the Bible, I was kind of taken back and really like confused about a lot of issues. And I felt even more awkward once I first started going to church and it just seemed like everybody knew (laughs) what was going on. And I was like, man, I'm like really behind. And so I really started reading the Bible and trying to understand what was going on in these stories. And I felt really assured and also kind of concerned at the same time 
once I started realizing that no one knew what was being talked about on Sunday. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That we're talking about Passover, and everyone's like, amen. And they're like, what's Passover? We're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's important, though. <laughs> Easter Sunday, he's risen. I'm like, who's risen? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's, it's Jesus or something. It, where does the rabbit come from? <laughs> There's so many things that we just don't know, and because we think that everybody already knows, we don't bother asking. Right? You college students know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you, think, you're, you think you're the only one that doesn't understand what the professor is saying. But the truth is that professor has a horrible job of illustrating what he's saying. And everybody else is like, oh, crap, I'm really stupid. Like, it's like, no, that professor just sucks. <laughs> right? And it's the most liberating experience when you talk to other students and like, yeah, I had no idea. It's like, me neither. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Woo. But man, that doesn't happen at church though. (laughs) We just always act like we knew exactly what was going on. And so I want us to look at the first Passover. I want us to, to look at these verses in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11 through 14. And to give you a background... This is what the background of this story is that Moses has been going before Pharaoh and asking Pharaoh to let his people go, all of the Jews, to be able to go and worship God for three days on a mountain in the wilderness. And it was about nine times that he went before Pharaoh and he did a miracle to to convince him to let them go. That's where you hear the stories of like the nine plagues of Egypt, like the locusts, the river turning to blood, the frogs. And at this part of the story, it's about to be the ninth plague. And it's a really extreme one. It's a death of the firstborn sons, all of Egypt. And this angel of death was going to go through all of the land and take the firstborns even from, from the cattle and livestock to from the Pharaoh's house even the servant's house, all of Egypt. And in order for the Jews to be exempt from this judgment that was being pronounced over Egypt, keep in mind too that this wasn't just, this wasn't just uh, you know, God picking on the Egyptians. The Egyptians were not only enslaved all of the Jews, the very people that helped save their very country um, year, uh, over, uh, 400 years before, but they were brutal slave drivers. No one likes slave drivers, right? They enslaved an entire people and were brutal to them unnecessarily. And on top of that, in their pagan worship, there's child sacrifices, women were, were uh, raped and used. It, it was like, you got to understand that these pagan acts of worship, it's not just like, what's wrong with that? Like, they're just they're just Buddhists. They go and they just meditate. Why would God be upset with that? Their acts of worship were, were child-killing and brutal and, and their sacrifices. Y'all, y'all feel that? And so that's why they had built over these 400 years, God's judgment and wrath was being built up. And so at this point of the story, in order for the Jews to be exempt from this judgment and this wrath that was going to pass over all the land, they had to get... a uh, a lamb and 
this pass, it's where the term Passover lamb comes from. They had to get this lamb and they had to slaughter it and cook it in their household. And they had to eat the, uh, the entire lamb uh, that night. They couldn't break any of the bones. It's like, you know, there's a whole bunch of intricate stuff that goes into it. But the main point is that when they slaughtered this Passover lamb, that they would get the blood and that they'd wipe it on the doorposts. And that was a symbol that that home was covered by that blood for judgment to pass over them. That's where it's, why it's called Passover. Instead of you getting it, it's passed over you. And so that blood was a symbol for, the, for judgment to pass over them. And they had to eat the lamb that night and eat, eat it with urgency and all that. And so let, let me read you all this part now. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood... I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. Now, I hope that you guys could catch that the big emphasis I want to put is that this is a day to remember. And throughout, after Israel's lib, liberation from Egypt, every generation that passed, for, it says that they forgot about the acts of God from before. And because they forgot about God and His, and his, his trueness and His nature and what He's done for them, the next generation would end up going into paganism and going into all the gods that God li liberated them from child sacrifices uh, pa uh, pagan um, orgies and all kinds of crazy stuff and they would just go back to the the, the evil and wickedness of, in the world because they forgot about the trueness of God does that make sense and so I'm really emphasizing this in scripture because God can there's so many festivals and, and holidays that are done that are um, started in the Bible, and a lot of times we don't even really understand the holidays that we participate in. And the the you got to understand that these things that is to remember where we've been, remember where we've been. You know, when I think about my life, there are certain principles that I've instituted as a father, as a husband, because of what I've experienced, and I learned a lesson. <laughs> I learned why I should always do this or never do that now because of my experiences. If you go through financial poverty, you learn this new level of like savings and budgeting to where like you are literally on the always like just your tip of your nose above water to where you actually when you actually get money again when you actually get that raise or that new job or whatever you don't spend like you used to you know what i'm saying it's like when you 
I know a lot of you guys are single, but when you're single, when I was single, I spent money incredibly different than the way I spend money now. Amen. Now that I have a family, now that I have kids. And even just before I had kids, when it was just me and my wife, I spend money completely different than the way that I spend money now. Go to date night, movies, dinner. I'm going to I'm going to treat you out. You know, it's going to be nice. Now, it's very rare for me to go to like a movie theater. I just went yesterday with my boy Edward though. Saw the new Star Wars movie. Um wow, a lot of questions, a lot of answers. Um, <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that because of the different things that of where we've been, we spend money differently. The way that I treat my wife, it's it's based off of things of where we've been. Everything that we've gone through, it leads us to where we are right now. How I operate as a, as a person of work ethic is because of where I've been. And if we never are cognitive of where we've been, we're never gonna know where we're going in the future. So many of us, we just are like aimless. We're aimless in our lives and what we're doing. And we're aimless in our pursuit of God. We just see how things figure out this day. And I'm telling you guys, nothing in life just happens. Nothing great happens by accident. No person that has like, that's all cut and fit and like swole body just just happened by accident. It's like incredibly intentional, right? Right, Ray? (laughs) It's incredibly intentional. Go to what they eat, to how they sleep, to, to what, how much they lift, how, what they lift. Sw- like, it's so intricate, and that's just their body. I mean, that's the one thing that you have the most control of in the world is your own body, right? And it's not even that much control. <laughs> but there's even just the one thing that you have the most control over is incredibly hard to control, isn't it? It takes immense planning. It, it takes experience it takes understanding and learning where you've been and where where you want to go with my marriage we we always have date nights there's been times in our lives where we can only have date night once a month we when it was just us is date night every week now with kids we finally in a place where it's going to be every two weeks it's the most consistent uh, close together it's been in years and we're so excited about it but why would we do that? Because we're remembering where we've been when we had parents that fought all the time, that were not close, that got divorced. See, what we're experiencing, the goodness of our marriage now is because of what we have been in our past, in our family's past. If we didn't learn from our parents' history, we wouldn't be able to, to, to plan any future for our history. I'm, and so going back to this passage, when it came to God, I want you to think of just like how Moses is telling people, this is a day to remember for your kids to do and their kids to do and their kids to do, to remember the day that God gave you liberty from slavery. And this, this blood of the lamb that was that was a sign of God that God would pass over judgment. It was a sign for them to always remember that God's love for them was great. And this was the final witness out of all the different miracles or the plagues. It was a final witness for the liberation from Egypt. 
could you imagine where our country would be if we were to just forget the the cruel history of slavery in our country? And even though that was a, you know, we could say, well, that was a long time ago. The the truth is, it's it was not that long ago. And it the the other truth is is that we've come so far as far uh, not saying that we have equality yet, but we've come so far in a short amount of time. There's so much farther to go. But um, would we ever be able to go farther if we did not remember that history? If we did not see the the stories of that history? Y'all know what I'm saying? I hope that that gives you a clear picture of why it is so important to to understand and learn and know where we've been so that we can know why we're going this way now. Y'all feel that? And I want to read y'all this verse now. And it's in Luke chapter 22, verse 7 through 8. And then we're going to jump down to verses 14 through 20. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Jumping down to verse 14, it says, When the time came, so everyone on the same page, this is where, where Jesus is at now, skipped a couple years ahead, and the Jews are still practicing Passover. And this is the Passover time right now. It says, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Sound familiar? After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So this is where the idea, the covenant of communion comes from. When Jesus says, take this bread, it's my body, it's my flesh that is broken for you. Drink this wine, it is my blood being poured out for you. It's all symbolic for what he was about to do on the cross. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, when, at first glance, we read that as like, in remembrance of you. Like, yes, like, like a funeral. No, in the same way he's saying, do this to remember my love for you. Why I died on the cross was for you. And it's all about meaning in this passage. And what this is, it, he's showing so clearly that this communion is a symbol of the new covenant God has made with people. 
And this new covenant that God has made with people supersedes all of the previous covenants. Does that make sense? And Jesus was the final Passover lamb causing judgment to pass over the entire world. It was so incredibly symbolic. That's why he's referenced in Revelation and other parts of the New Testament as the Lamb of God. Because he was the Passover Lamb. He is caught, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, the Passover Lamb, to die on the cross for our sins because he didn't want to judge the world. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. So that we would not be judged. So that we could have Passover judgment. And I want you to think of even more symbolism in this time. This is the exact, I mean, think about all the, out of the whole year that Jesus could be crucified. It's the, it's the week of Passover. Does that not sound intentional or premeditated? And, and to go further, when you think about what well, the cross, Jesus' blood was painted on the cross right? And the cross is an, an inverted doorway. Think about it. A doorway is, in, is exclusive while the cross is inclusive. It goes out instead of goes in. And the cross is, the, is almost like the symbol that this doorway is inverted to go throughout the entire world so that it is no longer, uh, is no longer an exclusive Thing for the Jews, but it's for Gentiles too, which Gentile just means people who are not Jewish, everybody else. And so we have this, this Passover lamb, the Son of God, Jesus, who painted his blood on this inverted doorway so that the entire world could have an opportunity to have judgment pass over them because he was a payment for our sins. He was a Passover lamb so that we would not have judgment over us. And I want to be I want to be really clear about this because there's so many different beliefs out there, so many different ideas and de denominational views. And I'm going to just share our heart and our theology about this this communion and about Passover. We believe that communion is the replacement of Passover. That it's just as Jesus' new covenant with us, that we are saved through grace and through faith in Him rather than the requirements of the law. In the same way, this practice of communion is to be kept instead of Passover, but it should still be kept. And there's, there's a lot of different belief systems out there. And some, some Christians believe, well, it, you should still practice Passover. You should still practice, uh, uh, it's still edifying to do. And let me just say that whatever God leads you to do, have at it. But I'm going to explain biblically of why we do not necessarily agree with that. To go back to Passover... That was a symbol for the old covenant of being saved by works, which was impossible. And it, to me, it is disregarding the Passover lamb that Jesus was. It's disregarding saying, I'm going to go back to the old lamb 
the, the new lamb is great, but this, it makes me feel like I'm doing something extra for my salvation. It makes me feel like I'm earning something more because I'm practicing Passover, old school Passover. Y'all know what I'm saying? And now even that's an emotional thought about it. A biblical thought is that Jesus says in this scripture that he won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled. Meaning that the Passover lamb that they were eating right then was a foreshadowing of a meaning to be fulfilled by God, which is the cross. He fulfilled Passover. He fulfilled it to where we never have to sacrifice a lamb again. We never have to sacrifice any animal for the forgiveness or of our guilt or our sins ever again because Jesus fulfilled all of that. Y'all dig what I'm saying? He fulfilled every holiday. He fulfilled every festival. He fulfilled all of it in the cross and the resurrection. And to go a step further biblically, when you go back through the requirements of Passover, it part of it is that no one who is uncircumcised may partake in the Passover meal. So if we were to say that, well, we're going to still practice Passover. Well, to do it correctly, because you can't just, the pass, it's so strict on how you're supposed to do it. To do it correctly, it means that everyone would have to be circumcised in order to eat it. Of course, men, uh, those of y'all who don't know what circumcision means, just look it up on Google. Um, if you have restrictions, you might not see anything. <laughs> um, but, so it, in order to partake in Passover, you would have to be circumcised by the law. Y'all feel that? Well, when you look at the New Testament, Paul vehemently battles against people who say that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. He, said, he vehemently, like passionately fights against this, this idea that you have to follow any of the old law in order to, 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 to be saved through Christ in this new covenant. And it, it, he makes it so clear and even all of the apostles agreed with him that no one had to be circumcised in order to put their faith in Jesus Christ because circumcision was, again, a symbol of the old covenant. Y'all following me here? And so what that would entail if we were to still practice Passover and it is that we would have to also resurrect the old lies that Jesus himself put to death. And... We'd be practicing things that God told us not to practice anymore. Y'all, y'all feel what I'm saying here? And the reason I'm, I'm trying to make this so clear is because there's so often where we just do things because we're just trying to pile on more spiritual stuff to earn God's grace. And the truth is that some of the things we do are contradictory because we don't really know why we're doing them. Don't just celebrate Passover because everyone's doing it. Not that everyone's doing it, but it's not, you don't just do something without really understanding why. Y'all feel that? And that being said, if communion is this new level of Passover, this new covenant to represent, to, to supersede the old Passover, why do we do it in such a way that gives no reverence? 
that gives no remembrance of what really what we're really doing. You know how many times I was standing next to some kid or some person when we were doing the little cup and juice for communion and they just took it because everyone else was taking it. It's like, hey, do you know why we're doing this? And like, <laughs> and then like, you know how hard it is to explain in 15 seconds? Like, well, that's the blood of Jesus. And that's, it's to represent God's, Jesus's flesh on the cross. And that's why we eat the bread. And they're just like, okay. <laughs> it, we need to understand why we do what we do. And the, this communion, in the same way that the Passover was a witness for all of the Jews and the liberation from Egypt, it was all prophetic and a foreshadowing of Jesus being a witness for our liberation from sin. All throughout Scripture, there's so many prophetic notes of certain things meaning certain things. And Egypt was constantly a, a prophetic, uh, uh, an analogy for the sinfulness of man and how God has called us out of Egypt, out of sin, to go into a place to be in oneness with Him, to be a community of worshipers of Him, of lighthouses for Him, and that He has promises for us, promised lands for us, things that He is, wants to give us that we didn't earn ourselves. That it's like this tremendous grace, and it's all foreshadowing of what was to come, and that's what where we're at right now. And as we get ready to take communion today, I want you to really settle in to the thought of Christ. I mean, my heart as a pastor, I'm I'm just gonna kind of speak off the cuff here. My heart as a pastor, you know one thing that I always pray for you guys when we're when getting ready for a message is that your faith would be edified. Is that your relationship with God would be deepened. So often we get these in these places of complacency and we don't feel very romantic with God. And it just gets busy and becomes just another thing that we do just to do. And as we go through this Passover of communion today, I want you to just allow, I know that every single one of us has stress, right? Every single one of us. Just for a moment, put all of that on the side and let's take a moment to remember what Jesus did for us. To remember the love of God being so powerful that the Bible says, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That no height or depth, that no sin, no sea, that not even hell can separate you from the love of God. That is the most powerful thing to reflect on. And to see that Jesus showed it that when he came to this earth, that it was his, he was aggressive and pursuing us, saying, I love you. That his love is not timid or shy, and it is not, it is not embarrassed to be seen by us. That he shouts from the rooftops his love for you. 
So I want us to bow our heads for a second. I want us to close our eyes. And I want us to engage in a time of worship. And one thing that scriptures say, as we're in this reverent mood, one thing that scripture says that no one should take part of communion so lightly. That they should not trample on it as something as meaningless or unimportant. And if you're here and you need to make your heart right with God again, let me be clear in saying that if you feel like you you fell into sin and you need forgiveness, you don't have to raise your hand for that. You, You are able to be forgiven like that when you go to God with your genuine heart. But if you're here and you know that you've been far from Him, it's been a minute, and you need to get right with Him again, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So right where you're at, I want you to have a prayer with God. I want you to just pray to yourself, and I don't want you to even repeat after me. Because I want you to find the words within yourself to talk to God and say what you need to say. The Bible says that when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that He rose from the dead, that surely you shall be saved. And it is so powerful to just speak to God to have a conversation with him. And even as you're making that prayer where you're at, I want you to just take a moment, and the rest of you guys too, to remember where God has been in your life. Take a moment to remember what God has done in your life. What he saved you from. What he's helped you through. The things that he spoke to you that nobody else knew about. Those moments that he encouraged you when you were ready to give up. And you just heard that still, small voice deep in your heart. That being said, we're going to go into this time of worship. And I want us all during our worship to remember who God is to us to remember what God has done for you and have a moment of just oneness with him a moment to where I feel like surrender is looked at as a negative word moment of surrender to where nothing else really matters you just lay aside everything else because you want God at that moment I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.